Hello, and thanks for listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence. This podcast is a venue for sharing topics in the field of yoga therapy today. Whether you're a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, healthcare provider, or individual with curiosity, this is the place to learn about the latest ideas, personal healing stories, research, and work that is cutting edge and making a difference. While you're here, expect to expand your knowledge on the emerging field that is yoga therapy. In today's episode of This is Yoga Therapy, I had the opportunity to interview Durga Leela. Durga Leela, which is her spiritual name, is a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, clinical Ayurvedic specialist, Panchakarma specialist, educator, and founder of Yoga of Recovery. Durga is a practical, down-to-earth, and to-the-point speaker who has worked on her own path of recovery. She has a great sense of humor and real warmth for understanding the trials and tribulations of our human condition. She's been a grateful member of 12-Step Fellowship for over 18 years. It's great to have you here today, Durga. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. It's lovely to be with you. And I know we're talking today, and I'm here in, in Colorado, and you're over in India, so it's especially important, I think, to connect with you at this time and to feel that you're still with us here, even though we're miles apart in these difficult days. So Durga, I'd love if you could start this interview by sharing the short version of your own personal story of recovery. Yeah. I like to say I'm a person in long-term progressive recovery. So my own path in founding Yoga Recovery stems from, I was raised in a home with an alcoholic, my mother, when I was younger. I became alcoholic myself in my teens. And then I found yoga in my mid-twenties. I lost my mother to alcoholism when I was 32 years old. Shortly after that, I was fired from my job in London. And then I did a big thing. I did a geographic. I moved from London to Lake Tahoe to take a year off. I wanted to sort myself out. And I have this thing where I say, wherever you go, there you are. So nine months after my new life in the US, it was just a shambles. So I was desperate and I took myself to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the only thing that I knew how to do. And so I went into the AA program and I actually experienced almost instant relief from this obsession with alcohol. And the story goes on from there. Like yeah. I, at some point I needed to increase my sobriety, you know, by letting go of things like drugs and cigarettes. And so I kept needing to get help from other sources so yoga, the physical practice of yoga was one of the first things. And then I was so blessed to be introduced to Ayurveda and instantly recognized myself and related to it. And so that helped as well. And it's an ongoing daily process, Michelle. So I am now 20 years sober. And as I say, it's been progressive. So I've given up other things along the way. I gave up cigarettes in the year 2001, so I think I'm like 19 years off of cigarettes come the 5th of April. It's another birthday that I celebrate because it meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave it there. I think that's enough. Yeah. Explains my story. 
Yeah. And it sounds like yoga and Ayurveda were really important for you along your path of recovery. And ultimately, and the 12 steps too, right? I hear that. And ultimately, your own experience led to developing the Yoga of Recovery program. And I'd love to kind of to tap into that a bit, like what that is. And it might be helpful to start with sharing with us really how you understand what addiction is. And then from that place, share with us what is yoga of recovery and what are the main tenets of it and where is yoga of recovery offered? Like put that together for us a bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. So for me to put that together, I want to say that 12 steps was a foundational part of my sobriety. And for the first 18 months, that's what I did mostly. I also saw a therapist and somewhere along that timeline, the therapist asked me to see a psychiatrist, which I did. And I was diagnosed with clinical depression. So the offer was to put me on medication. And I hesitated to have medication for that because at the time I was still smoking cigarettes. Now, I also have asthma since the age of seven and There I was smoking like 15 to 20 cigarettes a day. And I said to my therapist, I don't think I should take these antidepressants until I get off all mood altering substances. And I remember the shock on his face because he thought I was clean and sober. And I said, well, I am, but I'm addicted to cigarettes. And I think I should get off of those before you medicate me. And I remember he said, I didn't need to do that. And I said to him, I really did need to do that because living with that nicotine addiction on top of the asthmatic illness that I had, it was depressing. So I didn't really know how much to believe the clinical depression diagnosis because I was also experiencing this emergence into a new life. And this was one of the things that it was a cloud over my head. So I embarked on my I'm trying now to stop smoking campaign, which brought me face to face with my own insanity around addictive behaviors. But I did manage to get off of cigarettes. And how I did it was I went to an ashram and I used the ashram as my rehab for smoking because they don't let you smoke cigarettes in an ashram. So that's why I went and it was successful. I'm so glad for that. And I was a yoga practitioner. So I was interested in doing more yoga, more meditation, more pranayama, because that's what the meditation is part of the 12 steps. And I needed that pranayama piece to resolve this smoking killer addiction that I had. Um, So this was about 18 months of me being the terminology completely abstinent from all drugs and alcohol, clean and sober. And I went and I did that and... I realized just very, very strongly how much I needed to add something more um, physical and more embodying of health into the recovery program that I had with the 12 steps. They don't give any physical advice for us. It's a spiritual set of tools. So, of course, yoga fits in with that very nicely. And I say all of that because your question was, what is addiction? And it really is a great question because apparently I can be in recovery and still be causing myself great harm through the addiction to cigarettes. But for some reason, we think that's kind of okay. 
And for me, it just wasn't okay. So I needed to do something about it. But I know, like, we don't really insist on that one, even although it is a deadly addiction. And I was already lung compromised. And that's a big part now that we have this virus around us. And people who have had addictions in the past, we bear the wounds, the the remnants of those habits within our body. So we're weaker in that respect. So I'm glad to be alive and I'm glad to have the yoga and Ayurveda support me. When it comes to the definition of addiction, it's one of the things I ask the people that come on the retreats and courses, like what's their definition of addiction? Because there's so many out there. We begin sitting with a group of people with a statement that says our understanding of our suffering defines the nature of our solution. Because I think it's important that people feel into what's going on for them. Like I could have got away with not giving up smoking, but personally I needed to challenge myself and get rid of that habit. To get rid of that habit, for instance, I had to give up coffee because I knew I wouldn't be able to drink coffee without wanting a cigarette. So that addiction interaction was there for me and I could really strongly see that. And I was becoming aware of other problematic behavior, which was mystifying. It was like, has this behavior always been here? And I've just been too distracted to notice it. The old whack-a-mole thing that we talk about in addiction, that once you've got one thing under wraps, it seems like another one comes up to challenge you. So I'm going to tell you that my favorite um, definition of addiction is this medicating our sense of separation. That's what I'll give you today for my definition of addiction. So Michelle, do you have one that you like? Wow. I don't know that I really do. I've sat in your classes so many times where we've shared our various definitions, right? And I've heard you share yours and some other medical Mm -hmm. ones. And I will say that what you just shared with me definitely resonates, right? And it's about separation. It's about really not feeling like you are whole or that you belong and that you need to add something that's destructive in a way into the mix, right? To feel whole again. It's a lot of words there. It wasn't succinct, certainly, but those are the pieces that come to play when I think about what addiction is. It's filling up the void really in an unhealthy and destructive way. Yeah, there you go, filling up the void. And, you know, it's with stuff that never actually fills that hole in the soul, we say. I also have the one that I like, which is when more is never enough. That kind of reminds me of that voracious, like addictive tendency when it's active. And one of the reasons that I say it is because the medical model has given us a definition of addiction these days, which is addiction as a chronic brain disease. We talk about that much more when we're in session and the courses. But what I want to say about that, and it's really an observation of doing this work of yoga recovery over the years, is addiction diagnosed as a brain disease, but experienced as a heartbreak. Because I think there's a big difference between the diagnosis, which is, you know, the diagnosis of addiction as a brain disease invites the solution of repairing the chemicals of the brain and who is ready and waiting to do that are the pharmaceutical companies generally 
So we're moving now to what used to be medicated-assisted detox is becoming medicated-assisted treatment is becoming medicated-assisted recovery. So there's a timeline that's stretching out across the recovery horizon for people to be supported using pharmaceutical drugs. Now, I'm not against any form of recovery. Like, there's many pathways of recovery, and all of them should be celebrated. I am a little hesitant to hand over the full recovery um, process to the pharmaceutical companies. I think partly because we haven't seen them resolve their part in the opiate crisis that was created by their own products. So that's something to think about. Then you asked me, what is yoga recovery? My answer to this truly is yoga recovery defies description most of the time. So sometimes I'll try and give people an idea of what it is not. So it's not a one-size-fits-all prescription or treatment protocol. It's not a 12-step meeting. It's not a detox. It's not a rehab. It's not my opinion on drug policy, which, you know, you're sitting there in Colorado and I live in California when I'm home. So, you know, the whole idea about the medical marijuana or the recreational marijuana, I don't get into that. It's also not a Hatha yoga training So I sometimes say it's more a life plan than a lesson plan. And I'd like to say plan is not the word either. So all of those things, that's what it's not. So then what is it? So when I was asked that recently, I've come to this. It's a complete reframing of the addiction problem, according to the Vedic perspective. And it allows all of us to see our current involvement in the one addiction process that's alive and well within most of us. And right there in the identification of the problem lies its natural solution. So without any need to add any further stigma or shame to an already heavy burden of self-destructive behavior. So Yoga Recovery invites us to investigation of a solution for us right now, today, wherever we are on our recovery journey. And it's a conversation about that one addiction process. And then I'd like to say it's a process of creative self-inquiry. Mm-hmm. And I did you yeah. ask me something else? I did. Well, so I really like that. I like how you move from what it's not to what it is and uh, left room in there for so many different experiences, right? And that's how your program, if we want to call that, call it that, the teachings of yoga recovery have landed for me too. But even within that though, the next question was, and I think this will help make it a bit more tangible for people too, is that you have these main tenets of yoga of recovery. Would you describe for our listeners what they are, the main tenets? Yeah. Um, So the tenants, I follow the training I was given in Ayurveda, and Ayurveda says, treat the roots, not the symptoms. So it was, I sat down with a piece of paper and basically said, okay, what's the roots of this? And so we came to what is known as the six tenants of yoga recovery. The six tenants are life is longing. And let me today just call that life is longing is what I call the medicine of spirit. Next is life is prana. 
And that's the medicine of life force. Number three is life is relationship. So we're bringing forth the medicine of connection. Next is life is sweet. I call this the medicine of tender, loving care. Number five is life is love. And that's the medicine of liberation or freedom. And number six is life is progress. And that is the medicine of cumulative change. Mm-hmm. And so, so pause there. yeah, yeah, those are really helpful frameworks and a lot to think about, right? For each of those six tenants. And, and then, you know, the way that it's applied, right, is through the various Vedic teachings that support those tenets, right? And that might look very different for the individual. Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we are multi-layered beings, and this is a multi-layered problem. So the way the six tenets are laid out is really that where do you identify with your current stage of recovery? Like what has meaning for you? What has some spark for you? Like that's it. I want people to self-initiate into a pathway. So the thing with the six tenants is that each of the tenants points towards a yoga pathway and yoga practices that allow us to express inherent human natural energy in a more conscious way. So what the tenants are really saying is that we have this inherent energy and it's not unlikely that it will corrupt itself in the current world that we live in, like in a world that encourages us towards externalization of pleasure and futurization of happiness, that a lot of us get caught up in this addictive cycle, which is never being present for the moment, but always planning and scheming and plotting and hoping for more pleasure and it's pleasure outside of ourselves or better days in our future. So all of the yoga pathways are obviously pathways of presence. I've already said that there are multiple pathways of recovery. I think a lot of people don't really fully understand that when you come to yoga, there's also multiple pathways. And the yogas are multiple pathways that allow us to express all those different component parts of ourselves in a more whole, healthy, and sort of creatively expressive way. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And so if that is what yoga of recovery is sort of at a high level and and then the underpinnings of the tenants themselves, how do you offer yoga recovery? So tell us, like, practically speaking, how you train people and also how you help people on their path of recovery. What do they get to participate in? Yeah, there's various options. So I do a lot of work in training yoga therapists. And one of the things that I'm really interested in is to get rid of the them and us situation that's around addiction, especially when we step into the yoga world because it's not so much this diagnosed disease but what I mentioned this one addiction process so it helps when we're humble and honest enough to recognize ourselves in that process coming from the yoga perspective that's probably well described by the kleshas the afflictions 
you know, that five-fold veiling of the true spiritual nature, which is, in summary, our ignorance, sense of separation, ego, running towards what we like and running away from what we don't like, and then our fear of death and clinging to life, those kleshas. And I do think it's interesting that in the Western medical model, we call it addictions, and in the yoga world, they call it afflictions. So afflictions, addictions, there's a solution to both of them as we take up the yoga studies. So I personally found the yoga practices at an ashram, and that was the original thing that I did. I opened Yoga Recovery as a retreat that you could come into at different ashrams. And then once I did that back in 2005, really quite quickly, people wrote to me saying, can you turn that into a course because I'd like to teach what you're teaching. So I turned it into a course in 2008, and I've been teaching it in various, mostly various ashrams, because I thought they were good places to bring people. Like I had done, got rid of my smoking problem in an ashram because they had a fairly disciplined daily schedule. And so people could really immerse themselves in the theory of what we were talking about, the practices, eating the food, going to bed at the right times, all of that, it just Those things really help transform a person, even within a few days, just showing up for a disciplined daily schedule. Because um, in our world of sensory overload, a lot of people suffer with that kind of decision fatigue. Like, when am I going to do it? Where am I going to do it? You know, who am I going to do it with? So here you come into a schedule, it's just like be there at 10 because that's when we're going to eat. So there's a structure to that that we would relate to sattva. And that regulation of the habits, it just helps to bring people into a better balance. So the funny thing is that I was teaching pretty much the same material to the people on the retreat as to people on the course. I just asked for more from the people on the course because they were going to be the people that wanted to bring it out to teach it to other people. And then after a time, we realized that quite a few people that might have been better suited to the retreat were coming on the course. And so I made a decision to turn it into two offerings currently, which is one of them, Yoga Recovery, Healing the Habits that Bind, where we go through those six tenets. And we're recognizing the four pathways of yoga and the different practices within them. And we're also bringing in practices that allow a person to participate in yoga without going too heavily spiritual or maybe like some of the bhakti yoga that tends to be more Hindu based. We're still bringing it up to a sort of secular level in a way, an ability for the Western mind to grasp it. So some of the things that we bring in are native and wisdom traditions that practices and exercises And then the other aspect is yoga recovery between the mat and the meeting. And that is where I concentrate on Ayurveda. And the Ayurveda piece was, I could recognize that there was the physical practice of yoga that happens on a mat. And then there's the meeting aspect for people who go to 12 steps or any other group support around addictions or even a therapy appointment. And so that might account for two to three hours of a day. What about the other 20, 21 hours of the day? And that's where Ayurveda takes care of us. 
So the Ayurveda part between the mat and the meeting is the other part that's there. Um, so that leveled out that people now come on either one of those. And now the idea is to do a little bit more of the deeper training online. And so people can come and do the seven day process and it involves physical yoga practice, yoga nidra practice. It involves the information part of the tenets and the Ayurveda and it involves like sharing and discussing in the classroom and some exercises that we do on our own and as groups. And I'm also teaching that with the yoga therapists. And so I think it's pretty much the same with the yoga therapists, but we are preparing them in teaching facilitation and mentorship so that they're getting ready to go out and teach that in their local communities. And of course, Quite a few of the original yoga recovery students on the original course and many of the students from Inner Peace Yoga Therapy are doing that. They're they're taking out some of the tenants and teaching them out in the world. And that's really quite exciting. It's quite challenging too because, again, when I go in to tell you what yoga recovery is not, like there's there's quite a few... What, what we say, obstacles almost to bringing in something yeah. that is this pioneering because people either expect a yoga class that's somehow related to recovery through doing a 12-step reading in the yoga class or whatever. Um, so this one is like, it's the complete reframing. So people are, they don't really know what they're expecting, but generally they're amazed by what they get, which I obviously enjoy and I think it always it's funny because people will tell me this just makes so much sense and Ayurveda is a sense-based healing therapy and so I know we're really appealing to them at that lived felt sense experience of their own life and they're really happy to receive that because they deeply internally recognize it so we often say that Ayurveda is not really something that you have to learn it's something that you'll remember so I feel that yoga recovery whoever is there with us it gives voice to those feelings that they've had about their own life and experience and felt sensations and this is the language of nature both yoga recovery yoga pathways and the Ayurveda yeah, it's been really exciting. It chat? does. Yeah, it's really helpful. And it's been really exciting for me to see through inner peace yoga therapy, the yoga therapists who have done your training portion and then go off in their communities and hold these yoga of recovery classes. And, you know, they're group based classes. They go on for eight weeks and each week the teacher who's the yoga therapist is presenting one, a theme, right? A theme based on one of the tenets of yoga of recovery. And then there's time for self-inquiry. There's time for education around that, which I think that's when the student, from what I have heard and understood, gets that aha moment, right? Like this theme just makes so much sense. And so there's opportunity to share around that and then apply different practices from yoga and Ayurveda to support the teaching of the theme. And it's been really exciting. I know we're in the midst of it right now. And we're also navigating it given the global pandemic and everything. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's obvious that, you know, the teachings of yoga or recovery to me have always been so profound. But 
when you see it in action in the communities where you've trained teachers to go off and lead it and make a difference in the lives of individuals, that's what is, uh, you know, the most powerful thing, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big things where maybe we've made mistakes in the past is that it's really good to teach as seeing the person in front of you as the resource. This is our life. We have the creative power of universal intelligence living us. And so it's nice to appeal to that part of the person. So when we're training people, that's what we're asking them to find within themselves is that like the intelligence that's living them to start coming forth and helping them with their own solutions. And there's a certain amount of autonomy that we're giving people because we give a certain structure, a certain, like what we say, seed teaching. And and that's what I loved about the inner peace yoga therapy therapists, that they have a whole background of training even before they come to yoga therapy. And they're allowed to bring that forth in the yoga recovery classes. And then you have this amazing faculty and they've received the teachings of like uh, Amy Weintraub and Neil Pearson and many of the other faculty. So like, for instance, we have a class around pain in yoga recovery. And so they're able to bring in some of the things that Neil's taught them in that class if they feel resonant with that particular group, you know, for those practices. So they have that autonomy of choice. And there's a certain dignity in allowing that rather than this kind of prescribed yoga class. So I don't know all the answers. I am so lucky to work with so many incredible people and what they bring to the like the outline structure of this thread of the narrative that I talk about is like this really filling it out and bringing their own creativity and professionalism and passion to it. So that's amazing for me. And one of the things that I really want to say is that anyone can deliver yoga recovery. It's not just yoga teachers. It's not just yoga therapists. Like I train social workers, nurses, addiction psychiatrists. I'm amazed at the people that show up. I'm very humbled. It keeps me on my toes. It keeps me in my practice because like I have to represent this beautiful science of yoga and Ayurveda. And the one thing about it is this is a science of life. And so anyone who comes to it is they're invited to look at their own life and their own experience and feelings around those addictive processes. And once we do that, then they're much more ready to start sharing that with other people. Yeah. It's been, it's been amazing for me to witness it too. And yeah, it's, it's great that the, the trainer feels so empowered, right. To take the threads, like you said, and deliver them in their own authentic way. Yeah. So let's move on a little bit, although this is certainly all related, but let's kind of talk about what's happening in this moment, right? Because I've been thinking so much over the past couple of weeks about vulnerable populations during this global pandemic that we're currently experiencing. And specifically, I've been thinking about people who have mental health challenges and people in recovery. It just seems that the uncertainty and the instability of the times, the increased stress 
and the lack of access to in-person resources makes it particularly hard on these people and may also trigger relapse, right, or instigate panic attacks, for example. And last week I read an article about a group, an AA group in New Mexico that was being criticized because they gathered in a group of 40. I read another article that said that calls coming into support groups are probably triple or quadruple the usual volume. And that's not surprising, right? I think that's why my mind is really going toward those people right now. And I've noticed that, you know, meetings are available online. I believe they probably have been even before this, but that, of course, has been stepped up. Uh, Officials are saying many groups are conducting digital meetings and hotlines are open for people who need help outside of set meeting times. And this is really important. And I know as we've been talking about our trainees and our mentees, they're gearing up to teach the yoga of recovery group classes in the coming weeks as online classes, right? Via Zoom or whatever. So let's talk about really the importance of continuity of making resources available during this time of global crisis. Yeah. So it's a beautiful thing that people immediately think about, well, I can kind of get through this, but what about the people that cannot? So yes, there has been online offerings of support and meetings for quite a while. Probably the one I know best is a platform called intherooms.com. So I think it's Kenny and Ron, two guys that set that up. And I make use of that, for instance, because when I say there's many recovery pathways, a lot of people have followed the 12-step model and they create meetings um, that are not 12-step meetings, but sort of similar to them. And what happens actually is that In regular times, I might say to someone, like, I'd love for you to go to a codependent anonymous meeting. Like, even myself, I would quite like to go to one, but there isn't one in my town. I live in a small mountain town, and there is not a meeting of that particular group. So even some of the, you know, sex love addicts anonymous, in smaller places, they're not there. In New York, in LA, places like that, you get all these great meetings, all these different fellowships, but maybe not so much in um, smaller towns. So those online platforms are there. And they're also holding recovery meetings that are maybe not, they haven't reached into across the country type of thing, which is what I think of the Buddhist recovery meetings, um, even smart recovery 12 Steps is mostly available as the programs of Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon and Narcotics Anonymous. Those are big and widely available. So there's platforms already offering that, which means there's a lot of people who have that as a resource already. And the one thing about the 12 Step programs is they always have that helpline available for anyone at any time. So you pick up the phone and those lines are manned by other people in the program. And that's an aspect of service that people do to be there when somebody calls through and needs help with something. Now, one of the things is we usually get that person to a meeting, the physical presence of, you know, getting to a room and sitting down in a chair. Now that's not available to us. What I've seen is incredible at how quickly people 
have got those meetings online. Um, I have received invitations all week long from all sorts of groups asking me to join them online for their Zoom meetings. Um, And there's one of the things that it just has to be said that there's really a benefit to this health and addiction recovery as a daily practice. So yoga is a daily practice. We often say recovery. It's based on the maintenance of a fit spiritual condition. And this daily practice is the that layering of protection that stands us in good stead to get us through the knocks of life. Um, so that's really what I've noticed is that over the 20 years I've been in recovery and all the people I've met, they think about me, they reach out to me, they invite me to things. So I want to just kind of emphasize the fact that the deeper healing is never going to be a 911 call. You know, the deeper healing is what we do every day to contribute to more steadiness, stability and sobriety and serenity in our life. What makes us part of something. And this is really important. Um, We talk about in yoga recovery, we talk about find your people, find your park which means your neighbors and nature outside your door. That's a lot of what healing is going to be about. Just this lived experience of reclaiming our own lives. So I do see a great move of people being able to like very quickly become techy savvy enough to get on Zoom to have their meetings. Um, my husband's in recovery and he's kind of delighted that he can actually go to meetings that he used to go to when he was we were in a physical location. And, you know, he's received invites to attend those, which is like a reunion. Yeah, it's so important. And, you know, you mentioned too, like, yeah, it's great, wonderful that the meetings are online and people have stepped that up so quickly. And yoga teachers, right, have stepped in so quickly to offer classes online and if that's part of your support system for recovery, there's a lot of option there right now too. But then you also mentioned like, who are my people? Where are my parks? Right. And so being able to have someone to reach out to even virtually seems so important right now. And maybe you can or can't go to the park, but maybe you can step outside and, and to find that source for yourself and to help inspire that for other people who, you know, might be in need at this time. And that is that I got to say, that is one thing like, you know, I know, I know a lot of people really do disparage the 12 steps, but they have given that overall uh, outline for a lot of the people that try and offer something that they do not. But really what they do offer is that fellowship. Um, like people in my recovery meetings want to know where I am, if I'm OK, that they're part of my group. They're part of my sangha. We think about each other. We wonder how we're doing. Like we will show up and pick up the phone and show up for each other, making sure that we're okay. Like that's priceless. It really is priceless. And as you say, I'm also really, really impressed by the yoga teachers that have just, you know, like a lot of them go over their technical, what do we call it? Fears and just pointed the camera at themselves and they're teaching that they're just getting on with it. And in all of this, Michelle, there's something that I want to say about the whole field and all the time that I've worked in it. 
that I do feel that there has been an over-professionalization around the healing process that's been monopolized by the medical establishments. And I hope that this opportunity really helps connect us with the like the really vital autonomy of people and their competence in like growing up, maturing, caring for each other, um, just being able to muster healing responses to pain and anguish and disability, that that is part of our life. And as humans, we have been able to come through this without being handheld by the professionals every step of the way. But I feel that recently that's been a little bit forgotten. So I'm all for the people reclaiming their power and their power is enormous. I watched it in India the other day when they were asked to stay home on Sunday and there was videos of just empty streets in India because when the people decide to move, they're incredible. You know, their movement was, yes, we'll stay at home. And like when you see as many people being able to cohesively come together like that, that it's really kind of awe-inspiring, the power of the people. So I'd say for the politicians to watch out because maybe we really will reclaim our stakes, our land, our healing, our communities, um, taking it away from the, this kind of control of corporate America and this like overly, I'd call it the medical industrial complex, basically. So rally ourselves because this is our time to show up for each other, even although we can't be there with each other. But it really is also a time of reckoning of what's important in our lives. I totally feel that. Yeah. So I'm a little like that, Michelle, because I kind of came through like suicidal addiction without a rehab. I went and sat in a room that's freely available to anybody that wants to go in there. And I didn't agree with everything, but I thought there's something here that it's better than what I'm thinking and doing. And so I'll stay with it. And, you know, I went to an ashram. I didn't love everything there, but I could really see that there was like some real seeds of deep wisdom so I stuck with it. I just kept going back. In that, to me, is the healing process. Pushing myself to show up and move on and let go of some of the things that are my obstacles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we can hope that some good things come out of this, right? But I, I'm feeling some of the things you mentioned there as well, too, because I've connected with people that on a regular basis now, right, that I care very much about, but have been so out of touch with. And it feels good to me, just kind of even separate from the whole recovery and addiction conversation, just the connections that we make. And of course, that's part of the conversation too. So finally, and I like to ask this question of each of our guests in our training programs at Inner Peace Yoga Therapy, we teach our students who are studying to become yoga therapists that one of the key pillars to doing the work of a yoga therapist is to first have your own steady daily sadhana or spiritual practice. And this really sets the foundation and comes before holding space and doing any work with others. So I'd love if you could share with our listeners, and I'm curious for myself too, can you tell us what your daily sadhana looks like? Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I go to is prayer. So there's something that's said in recovery circles is that every morning I wake up with untreated alcoholism. And so that's the first thing, the first medicine that I apply is prayer. And let me say this prayer, actually, because I love it so much. And it is a 12-step prayer, but um, it is, it's known as the third step prayer. So it's, Goddess, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. So that prayer is so important to me, and if I distilled it, it's relieve me of the bondage of self. That's what my disease distills down into the bondage of self. So after I've done that, I get up and usually I'm doing a little bit of what we call dinacharya in the morning. So very quick, I do some eye drops, um, nasia, the application of medicated oil into my nostrils and oil pulling after I brush my teeth. So swishing the sesame oil around in my mouth. Then I sit for meditation after meditation, I do pranayama. My pranayama practice is mainly just kapalabhati and nadi shodhana. And then I do some yoga asana. Now, if I'm to be honest, yoga asana is the one that I'll drop sometimes because I also want to go out for a walk. So here in India, I need to walk in the morning because it's too hot by the afternoon. And because of that, I really do, when I'm at home, I go to asana classes. I'll go to the yoga classes because that forces me to be there for the hour, hour and a half. Because when I'm at home, I get distracted. Oh, I'll go and soak beans for dinner and then I'll come back and do this. But usually I do at least 20 minutes of asana and I read something in the morning and then I journal I also consider part of my sadhana, like I do go to meetings. I actually work on answering questions in workbooks, like step work. So currently I'm working through the, the workbook of adult children of alcoholics, which is one of the people programs. And I'm always working on the people relationship stuff. And I think I consider it, you know, a bit of a sadhana to be cooking my own food. So chopping vegetables and preparing a meal. And one of the most important things I'd say is that I change the tune of my mind, especially when I hear the old tapes coming up, you know, the fear, the anxiety. So I play mantra all day long in my head, meaning I repeat a mantra all day long. Mm -hmm. And that's the background sound to my life now, which I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Om Namah Shivaya. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. And you practice Yoga Nidra quite a bit too, don't you? I do. Why did I forget Yoga Nidra? That's, yoga Nidra is usually more if, if I hit that fatigue point, like later in the day, then I'll be like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to fight this. I'm just going to go with it. So I lie down and do the, you know, body sensing, which I find just to be amazingly therapeutic. Yeah. Such a great resource that we all have right now too, to 
to tap into that, right? Recordings of Yoga Nidra out there when we're feeling it. I, that's why I particularly mentioned it. Plus, I know that you do it on a regular basis, but I think it could be such a great tool for everyone right now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Durga. And it was really nice to talk with you today and to connect with you over in India and just to be with you for this past little bit of time. And I look forward to sharing this information with all of our listeners and to people who might need to hear this too. And to learn more about Durga Ligla and the Yoga of Recovery, you can visit yogaofrecovery.com. This has been a production of Inner Peace Yoga Therapy. To learn more about us, visit innerpeaceyogatherapy.com. And by the way, the music that you're hearing today is from the John Stickley Trio.